Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to start tonight. We're going to be a little bit all over the map, but I'm so excited that you made the decision to get here. And I don't know about you, but we were getting excited on Sunday night as we were rooting on the Chiefs. I got to get together with some of my people. I had some people in there like colleagues, people that I work with. I had some friends in there, and then I had some of my community in there. And uh, it was awesome, wasn't it? I don't know where you were. I don't know who you were with, but more than likely you were with somebody. And I don't know if you were anything like us, but it was a little bit disappointing on the front end. But I was like, we, we got this. We got this. After Rihanna get done her thing, we go, we about to turn on our thing, you know. And she was wearing red because she knew. She knew what was happening, you know. And uh, we were just really excited to uh, be able to cheer on our hometown chiefs. And there was something just kind of electric in the household that we were in. And we did the deal where there, we pulled out fireworks. And me and my family, we kind of snuck home early. But we were experiencing the fireworks post-game all around in our neighborhood. And the people that we were with, they sent us a video of the fireworks that they set off. And it was just a big celebration. And there was something probably inside of most of you here tonight where you were like, man, I, I want to be at a party somewhere. You know, even if you were rolling into the Sunday evening like, man, I'm kind of tired. But you didn't want to miss out because more than likely, you wanted to belong with a group of people to cheer on these, these young adult men to win the Super Bowl. And, and that makes sense because there's something inside of all of us. There's a longing inside of all of us for belonging. Now, I don't know if you ever get outside of, of like a party like that and kind of really evaluate from, uh, from an outsider's perspective of like, what are we doing here? Like, it's kind of interesting because you're cheering on a bunch of men wearing costumes, all right? And, uh, and they're playing a game that you probably don't even know much of the rules of the game. Some of us do, but most of you probably don't. And then, and then you're cheering and like getting anxious and getting fired up about this thing that they're doing because, again, it's really not about the game. It's more about the experience, that there is this innate longing for belonging, that you and I, we were made to get together with people we were made to cheer on a, a common cause. We were made to belong with one another. This is how we were created. But the irony is this, is even though there's this longing for belonging and we flock to things like that, the irony is this, is that for many of you, there's still this empty loneliness that gnaws at you at night. And so you rush to experiences like Sunday night, you rush to parties, or you rush to things or places where social interaction is taking place, but you're still feeling this sense of loneliness. The reason why I know that is because I did a little research this week, and there is stat after stat that shows that we are the loneliest generation, that Gen Z and millennials, which is ironic because we're so connected digitally, but we're so lonely on the inside. And the pandemic just kind of made it worse. Like that's really when you found out who your real people were. And so we've come in here tonight and there's this longing for belonging, but the paradox is that there's this, there is this experience of loneliness in a lot of y'all's lives. And then you come in on Valentine's Day and for many of you, it just kind of makes that thing worse, you know? Like you're hoping for some sort of romantic thing and you've given up on that, so you've settled for Galentine's Day, you know? And you got together with your girls and guys, we don't have a Galentine's Day. We got like a Valentine's Day or something like that, right? And some of you are like all about the romance, and then some of you are like no romance at all. You know, like I don't want any of it. You know what I'm saying? 
And you could come in here on a holiday like today and you could be like, man, this is just kind of a reminder of how lonely I feel. And loneliness is something that is detrimental in our culture. And tonight we're gonna be talking about what it looks like for you to have real community. We're in the series called Be Real. And it's based upon this app that many of you know about, but it's an app where you are kind of prompted once a day to take a picture of yourself and your surroundings and post it, no filters, and you're just sharing with your people what's going on in your life. And it's an app that's trying to promote authenticity because I think there's, there's this other longing inside of all of us where we've come in here as a generation and said, man, we don't want fake. We want something that's real. We want something that's transparent. We want something that's authentic. And so many people are downloading the Be Real app but on the other hand, we, we haven't given up on Instagram. Like Instagram is still king on the scene. And so we have this like one hand, we want authenticity and we want real and transparent, but we're not giving up on our filters and our fake life and our preferred self either. And so we don't like fake people. We don't wanna be fake people, but inside, if we're being honest, I know it's church and it's hard to be honest, but if we're being honest, there's still a part of us that's faking it. And so we've been talking about what does it look like to be real in a culture that tends to fake everything. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled the message, Real Community. Real Community. And here's what I want you to see tonight. I want you to see why you need community. I want you to see what, communi what community looks like biblically. And before we leave tonight, I want to give you a real practical example of how you can build community in your life. We title this Real Community for a reason because I think that for many of us, when we think relationships, we think romantic and then we think friendship relationships. And when it comes to you experiencing what God wants you to experience, there has to be something different altogether. Like there's a cultural category of relationships and I wanna, I wanna create a new category of this thing called community. And what I mean by community, I mean biblical community. And the difficulty is this, is that most of you have come in here and you don't have a biblical worldview. And what I mean by that is this, is that you don't see the world through the lens of the Bible. And the Bible's going to say some really clear things about how our relationships are supposed to operate. And so I want to give you kind of a working definition of what community is, all right? Biblical community is a small group of people who help you look more like Jesus. Biblical community, it's a small group of people that you roll with, and one of the main goals of that group of people is that they help you look more like Jesus. Do you have real biblical community? Do you have regular conversations with people about your relationship with Jesus? Do, do, you, do you find yourselves in circles regularly where you're talking about how Jesus is working through you and in you? Do you have occasionally or, or regularly, do you have conversations with people about your struggles with sin and temptation and what the Bible has to say about that? Do you have real biblical community? And my hope is that, that by the time we leave here tonight, you'll at least have a vision for what biblical community could look like in your life and that you would make a commitment to live out the rest of your, your days pursuing relationships so that you can have biblical community. In Genesis, it's really like the, it's like the book of beginnings is what Genesis means. And, and in Genesis, we find out that God is creating all that is. And when you read the Bible, you find out that God has chosen to reveal himself as a triune God. This is really a distinction in Christianity. that The Bible teaches that God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. 
And so in God's essence, he has chosen to display himself in a community. And so what we see is that this communal God, this triune God, he is creating from a place of community, and he's creating a creation that is built for community. And you have this cadence in the book of Genesis where it says this. It says that God spoke the world into existence. And so he said some things, and it was, and then he reflects upon what he said into existence, and he goes, man, that's good. And so you get the picture, right? God's saying, giraffe, it was, and he looks at it and says, that's good. God's saying, mountain, it was, he looks at it and says, that's good. God says, Pluto, and he looks at it and says, that was good. And he's get, got this cadence, he says it, it was, it was good, but then it seems like the track stops when he looks at man, and here's what it says in Genesis 2, 18, it says this, and the Lord God said, it is not good, it's not good. He says, it's not good that man should be alone, and so I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, this is before sin has entered the world. This is like perfect world. This is harmonious world. This is all things are going good, but he looks at this predicament, and he says, this man, we know him as Adam, he is not where he needs to be in the sense that it's not good that he's alone. Point number one, if you're taking notes, you could write this down, why we need community. Why we need community. To put it simply, we need community because it's not good for man to be alone. We need one another. God has created us from a place of community, and he's created us for community. Now, I want to note that it does not say it's not good for man to stay single. And I think that's important because I think a lot of us read this and we think, okay, well, it's not good for me to be alone, and that's got to mean singleness, and so in order for me to accomplish all that God wants me to accomplish, I've got to have a spouse. And listen, singleness is not a sickness, and marriage is not the medicine. Marriage will not fix you, all right? It may reveal what's wrong with you, if anything, okay? Marriage is a magnifying glass. You need to get your act together before you invite someone else into that mess, all right? And it's, it, no, it does not say it's not good for a man to be single. Jesus was single, and he was complete, but he wasn't alone. Paul, one of the greatest theologians in all the Bible, single, he was complete, but he was not alone. That it's not good for a man to be alone. Here's one reason. I could give you a ton of reasons why it's not good for you to be alone, but here's one. Um, your idiosyncrasies, they grow in isolation. That's just a, a big fancy way of saying this. Typically, the lonelier you are, the witter you are, all right? Like, like you just, like, and I think that God's looking at Adam like, I don't, know if, I don't know how it was. I don't know if they were, like, hanging out one day, and God was, like, put his arm around Adam, and God, Adam was like, God, and, like, he got a whiff of him, you know? He's like, Adam, hey, bro, you been on deodorant lately? He's like, no, nah, it's been weeks, you know? <laughs> just been out here working. <laughs> you I think God was like, all right, well, I'm going to holler at you real quick. And he huddles up and he's like, Holy Spirit, Jesus, what are we going to do about this, you know? Like he, he, hadn't, he hadn't worn deodorant in weeks and he's been talking with animals like out loud. And I think he's got a bunch of blueberry and raspberry and blackberry in his teeth. Like, we got to help my brother out. Like he needs some help. He needs somebody, you know? And I think that they went to Adam and they said, hey, the way you're living, you're not doing anything bad, but it seems like you're getting weirder. <laughs> you know, it's like we need you to have somebody in your life so they can help you know how to be a better version of you. All jokes aside, typically, some of the, some of the things that we think of in our isolation and then we act out are really, really destructive. I know there's been times in my life where I've gone through a bad season 
or, or I've gone through just a season where I was just in isolation, I wasn't in biblical community, and I came up with some ideas, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, that's what we should do. That's what we should do. You know, and I, like I'm talking to we, like there's more than me. Anyway, like that, and I started thinking, well, yeah, that's a good idea. That's how I should pursue that thing. Or I, so I can get so worked up, or I can get so convinced of doing something that's wrong. The Proverbs say this, that there's a way that seems right in a man's heart, but in the end, it leads to death. And many times the way that seemed right in my heart that I acted upon, it began when I was in isolation. It's not good for you to be alone. If you were a prisoner, let's say you did something real bad, and you got locked up in the worst prison, and you rolled up in that prison, you're like, ain't no prison gonna hold me, and then you started acting out in the prison. What they would do to you, if you were a bad prisoner in a bad prison, they would put you in a thing called solitary confinement. Because the correction facilities know that one of the greatest ways that you can punish someone is to completely isolate that person. And listen, many of you are living in a prison of your own making. That you are stuck in solitary confinement emotionally. You're stuck in solitary confinement spiritually. You're stuck in solitary confinement socially. And the irony is this, that you live around thousands of people. Like the opportunity for you to find relationship is so readily available. And tonight, there are hundreds of people around you tonight, but do you know any of them seriously? And do any of the people in this room know you? And my fear is this, if you don't find community, if you don't find biblical community, you'll drift into this kind of weird compromise where you just, like you follow people on social media and you pretend like y'all are tight, but y'all really aren't, you know what I'm saying? Like I don't know if y'all do this. You know, like you'll run into somebody that you haven't seen physically in a while and you'll be like, hey, how the kids doing? Like they're getting so big. It's like we haven't talked in three years, but you've been following them on social media. You know, you're going to see Patrick in the parade tomorrow, and you're like, bro, Disneyland was amazing. Like, because you've been following him on social media. You see Rihanna, you're like, how's the baby bump going? Like, because you've been following her on social media. We'll get, like, this weird, like, connection with people digitally, but we don't really know them. And so when our life is on the highest of highs, they're really not around to celebrate. And when our life is in the lowest of lows, they're not there to pick us up. And so we'll compromise for this digital experience when God has made us to experience real biblical community, it's not good for you to be alone. Because again, the lonelier you are, the weirder you can become. But also, it's not good for you to be alone because God has a mission for you, man. Like God has an assignment for you. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And he wants to bring people in your life so that you can move in a team to accomplish the thing that he's asked you to do. Like, I, I discovered this about myself. I grew up playing sports, and I'm the third born of three boys. We were all in high school together, super, super competitive household. And when I started playing sports, I thought, you know what? I'm going to be the most disciplined athlete. Ain't nobody going to outwork me. So I'm going to be the first one there and the last one to leave. I'm going to be crunching protein mid-workout. You know, I'm going to be doing all the stuff, you know. And I'm going to be the most disciplined dude. And, like, when I graduated college and I was done with eligibility playing sports, everything just kind of went to pot, <laughs> Like, like I, I, I quit working out. I wasn't as disciplined as I thought I was. And what I discovered about myself is that I'm not really that disciplined. I'm just really competitive. 
And so when I had somebody on my team that was counting upon me, I rose to the occasion and tried to exceed the expectation. And when I had an opponent or I had a cause to run towards, I rose to the occasion and tried to exceed the expectation. And what I found about myself is that if I was going to accomplish the things that God wanted me to accomplish, I needed a team. It wasn't good for me to be alone. Because left to myself, I'm lazy. Left to myself, I'll compromise. Left to myself, I'll just fall into the lie of, I'll do that tomorrow. Like, you need to work out? Yeah, yeah, I'll do that tomorrow. You know, tomorrow comes, I'll I'll do that tomorrow. You know, tomorrow just seems better to do a hard thing. You know what I'm saying? It's not good for you to be alone. But sadly, many of you have come in here tonight, and that is your reality. But you were made for so much more. You were made for community. But listen, you were made for biblical community. Uh, The Bible says a lot about relationships. Like relationships is one of the, the greatest things in God's eyes. Like he would say that this is like one of the biggest things on his heart. Like if you don't get relationships right, then oftentimes you're not right with God. Like it says in 1 John, how can you love a God that you can't see if you can't love a person that you can see? Like this is a really big deal to God. So it shouldn't surprise us that God speaks a lot about the things that should mark our relationships all throughout the Bible. And I just want to turn your attention to Romans chapter 12. Romans is in the New Testament or second half your Bible. And what's happened in the book of Romans is this guy named Paul, he's written like a dissertation to a group of Christians in Rome, and he's basically walked through how a person could be made right with God. He says this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so we need to live in light of that profound reality. He goes on to say some of the most famous words in the Bible, that you are to be no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but you're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you're to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God, that this is your spiritual act of worship so that you can understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he begins to get real practical and he gives us a bunch of like imperatives. He's just gonna fire them off. And he's saying these are the things that should mark your relationships in light of this glorious truth. So if you're here tonight and you claim to be a Christian, if you're here tonight and you said, man, I have committed my life to follow Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for my sin, that he rose from the grave, and I've, I've given him my life, and I'm following after him then you're making a commitment to trust him so that you won't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is not just, this is not just who breathe that we talk about in the church. These are things that should be sunk into your heart, that, should be, that, that they should move down to your feet so that they impact the way that you live your life. And so when we come to these list of things that should be evident in your life and increasing in your life, we should take these things serious, especially for those of us that have said, man, I'm following Jesus. And so here's what it says in Romans 12, starting in verse 9. These are the things that should mark our lives. He says this, love. Love is a relational word, right? Like you you look at somebody, you say, I love you. He's saying the biblical love, love, he's saying this, love, it must be sincere. He says you got to hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Again, he's writing to a group of people. He's writing to a group of people in Rome, just like you and I. And he's saying, these are the things that should mark. If you want biblical community, these are the things that should mark your life. He says this, be devoted to one another in love. He says, honor one another above yourself. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. 
And he's saying, man, if you want biblical community, if you want your life, to, be, your relationships in your life to be marked by the things that matter to God, he says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And then he says, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you could write this down. What community looks like? What community looks like? That's the question that this natural to ask. If you understand, man, I need relationships. I need, I need people in my life. They're going to help me look more like Jesus. Well, what are the things that you do? I mean, what are the, the attributes? What are the fruits? What are the characteristics that should mark those types of relationships? And he's given us this list so that we can know what biblical community should look like. First of all, he just says love. Love. It's such an important word. I think we're all tuned in to love right now. It's Valentine's Day. We're seeing all the hearts and all of the red and all of the flowers and all the stuff, all of the, the commercialism that, that America has made Valentine's Day. But it's a reminder to love. But what is love? Like it's so confused in our culture, right? It's this watered-down word that we use to describe our affection for tacos and our significant other, right? It's confusing. I love tacos. Like the way you love your wife? Like there's got to be a difference, right? But all we have is love. So let me ask you, do you have genuine love? Let me help you think through that a little bit further. Who knows you completely and who accepts you fully? Because listen, if you're not fully known, but you're fully accepted, then you're really not fully loved. It's just kind of superficial. See, if you're not fully known, then you're really not fully loved because people love a false version of you that you've portrayed. They love the Instagram version of you. They don't love the B-real version of you. Uh, Tim Keller, he's a famous theologian and pastor from New York City. Here's what he says. He says this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear because there's rejection there. He says this, this is like salve to our loneliness. He says, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from our pretense or our pretending. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Do you know love like that? Who knows you really? And who has accepted you fully? Who do you know really? And who have you accepted fully? Paul says, man, if you're gonna have biblical community, you, you've got to love. And then he gives some, he gives some um, attributes and he gives us some characteristics and I've, I've combined them into like five things that should really mark biblical community. So five things that should really mark biblical community. The first thing is that you've gotta be committed. You gotta be committed. Man, we, <laughs> this is something we are so weak in our generation. We are so weak at commitment. You see here, he says that your love must be sincere. You've got to be devoted. He's saying that you, you've got to be committed to people. I know y'all probably all heard of FOMO, the fear of missing out. I read a, an acrostic the other day that's called uh, FOBO, all right? FOBO means fear of better options. And I don't know what's worse in our generation, right? 
Like many of us were like, I don't want to commit, I don't want to commit, I don't want to commit because there may be someone cooler I can hang out with tonight. I don't want to commit, I don't want to commit because there may be someone that I think is more like me that I can hang out with tonight. I don't want to commit, I don't want to commit because there may be a better option. And a lot of us think it's virtuous that we can have a lot of options and we've lost the virtue of honoring a commitment. The Bible says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. In Psalm 15, it says that the people that the Lord loves are people who keep a commitment even when it hurts. We need to be people that are committed and committed to one another. Many of us don't experience biblical community because our commitment muscle is so weak. And when the going gets tough, we get out of there. We gotta be committed. The next thing that you need that marks biblical community is consistency, consistency. It says there in verse 12 that you're, you're supposed to, here's what it says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. He's, he's saying you gotta be happy in the happy times with people, and then you've gotta be, you've gotta be patient in the difficult times with people, that, that a joy shared is a joy that is, that is multiplied. That's why we were all high-fiving each other, and yes, when we fumbled and picked it up and took it to the house, that's why we were all fired up when we had those big plays on Sunday night, because we were celebrating and we were sharing joy. In the adverse, when, when you look at sorrow, when we sell, or excuse me, when we share sorrow, it's a sorrow that's divided. When you get to go to your biblical community and say, guys, my, my loved one is sick. I got laid off from my job. I fell back in that sin again. Those men come around you, men. Those women come around you, women. And they begin to share the load. Galatians 6, 2 says this, that we're called to bear one another's burdens. Who do you do that with? Who does that with you? Biblical community, it is committed. It is consistent. But it's also, number three, it's marked by care. It's marked by care. We're called to honor people above ourselves. We're called to practice hospitality. Who are the people that care for you and who are the people that you care for? That many of you, this is the opportunity for you to learn how to be a great husband someday. For many of you, this is the opportunity for you to learn how to be a great wife someday. Even though you may be single, you can begin to learn how to care for people in your life today. And you're not just going to turn that switch on when you get married someday. This is the season that you begin to build the muscles of biblical community so that they transfer all throughout your life in whatever relationships that you find yourself in. The next thing that marks biblical community is counsel. Counsel. He says this, he says that we're not to lack zeal or spiritual fervor, but we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That when people come into your space, your friend group, or your community, do you counsel them biblically is what I'm looking for. I think there's been tendency in my, in my life when I, was, when I was just kind of first starting to follow Christ, and even now I feel this, when somebody, they, they lay out their problem, I'm a problem solver, I don't know if that's you, and so when somebody's like, man, I'm just so frustrated, I'm like, tell me your problem, let's fix it, let's do it, let's get a game plan, you know? And like, that's my tendency, and then, and then also people come and they'll just kind of seek advice, and, and my knee-jerk reaction oftentimes, I gotta catch myself, is I'll find myself saying, you know what I think about that? Or I'll say, you know what I feel about that? And I'll start thinking, you know, I think that you should. You know, I really feel if it were me, that's what I would do. You know, I think about, and I feel like the Holy Spirit's like, I don't care what you think, man. Give them my word, you know. I'm the one that's wise above all reason, you know. My ways are higher than your ways. Don't tell them how you feel or how you think. Point them to the book, man. 
Now, it's not wrong for you to share your thoughts or your feelings, but biblical community, man, they are zealous about God's word, and they share God's word. They don't participate in what I call sure ignorance. That's just a made-up word that means that you share your ignorance on a certain subject matter. And so when you are with your people and there's a problem to, that you're trying to, to mediate, like, I, like how did he treat you? And, and you start laying out to your girls, man, he, he, he didn't get the door for me. He just honked his horn. And they're like, no, nuh-uh. And they're pulling out their, you know, their nail files about getting ready to go shank this dude. Like, and you're like, whoa, whoa. You know, like, you just like, you, that's not what I need right now. I need, you to, I need you to remind me of what God says. You know, I need you to point me to God's word. And then we can get some of that out later if we need to. But God's word first. I think that'll help kind of influence if we're going to do that or not, right? And so like, you need people that will point you to, to the word of God. The next thing, and maybe the hardest thing, when it comes to biblical community is, is that it, it's marked by coaching. It's marked by coaching. This is the correcting piece. You could just even write that word, correcting, coaching. This is when you sit down with people and you begin to process what's going on in your life, and if you are drifting towards something that the Bible calls evil, that these people would coach you and say, hey, hey, don't go that way, wrong way, wrong way. Or they would correct you and say, hey, we need to cling to what is good. That's what it says there in Romans 12. It says this, that we're to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Who are the people in your life that are urging you to hate what is evil? I think when it comes to evil, like we have this tendency, like we hate evil out there. Like it's evil, we hate it, we hate evil. And we can see it in other people. We just don't hate it in ourselves all the time. Because a lot of the times we've justified why it's not really that evil. Like we're sleeping together, but that's not really that evil. You know, I, I'm abusing this substance, but that's really not that evil. I ain't hurting nobody. We're doing whatever the thing that God would say is evil. We're gossiping about all of the people, but it, you know, we're just talking and sharing prayer requests. It's not that evil. And you need somebody in your life that'll just say, hey, I love you. But that's not what is God's best for you. Like, like, I get it. I get all the emotions, and I get all the feelings, and the hormones, and all the hype, and I, I get that you want to do that. But, but it, it just it disagrees with what the Bible says is good. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to love you enough. The book of Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Who are the people that have wounded you lately? And if you're like, you know, I can't really think of anybody that's wounded me and corrected me spiritually in the last year, I would look back at you and say, you may not have any biblical friends. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, does that mean that we get together weekly? Like, do I get with my guys weekly and we just beat each other up? Like, how could you, you evil son of a whatever, you know? Like, you know, like how could you do that? You know, like, that's not what we're doing, all right? But it's part of the relationship. When I share with them struggles, They'll remind me to cling to what is good and to not give in to the wicked parts of my heart that seem to always want to take precedent over the purity that God has called me to. 
These are things that should mark the biblical community group. Are you with a group of people? Are you clinging to what is good? I get together with my guys regularly, and we begin to process out these sort of things. We're committed to one another. We're consistent in each other's lives. We try to care for one another. We try to counsel one another biblically, and then we try to coach one another up that you do the thing that God's called you to do. And I know it's going to be difficult, but you go back towards that thing, and you go back towards that person, and you love them, and you lay down your life for them, and you serve them, and you do what the Lord would have you to do. Do you have people like that in your life? Do you have relationships like this? And many of you are thinking, man, I I don't think I do, but I want those types of relationships. Like, how how do I find those people? Where are they, you know? Well, point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes, you could write this down, how to get into biblical community. How to get into biblical community. There's really not a chapter or verse that says, this is how you find biblical community. It's kind of like dating in the Bible. Dating's not in the Bible, all right? But there are principles that we find all throughout Scripture, and then there are practical things that we can do to help position us in a place so that we can find biblical community. It's not found in the Scriptures. And listen, you're not probably going to stumble into biblical community in your life. A community, it's really not found anywhere. It's forged. It's forged. And many of you need to be the person that, that stands up and you notice, man, I've got a vision for what God wants from me relationally. I've got an opportunity because I'm surrounded by thousands of people practically. Now I need to be the person, I need to be the man or the woman that stands up and says, hey, y'all come follow me as I follow Jesus. I don't have it all figured out. But I'm committed to Christ, and I know that the better version of me is on the other side of community. And so why don't y'all come over to my apartment? Why don't you come over to my house? Why don't you come over to the, whatever the place is, and why don't you begin to meet with me as we study God's word and we find biblical community? A friend of mine named Akko, he moved down here recently, and uh, I was asking him about his story, and he, had, he was doing some work with some some churches up in the New York area, and he had gotten a vision for biblical community, but when he moved to Kansas City, he really didn't know anyone outside of the woman that he had married recently. And so him and his wife, Aaron, they moved up to the North KC part of the city, and, and they're just there, like, working, newly married, and, but have a vision for biblical community. And so they find themselves in a place where they're just like, how do we do this? Where do, like, where do we sign up for the, the group or the, the, the Life Connect thing or whatever the church is called? I mean, like, how do we get there, you know? Like, what is the cell group or the D group or the G group or the B group, whatever the thing's called? How do we sign up for that? Well, there really wasn't a clear pathway for them. And so my guy said, all right, well, we're just going to start something. And I love that because he had a vision for it, and he wasn't waiting on someone else to do the thing that God had placed in his heart to do. And many of you, you just need to start something. That's my story. I'm in, I'm in college. I'm starting to follow Jesus, and I'm like, man, where are the men my age that are going to lead spiritually? And God said, I'm looking at them, and it's you. And I didn't have it all figured out. I didn't have my life together. None of us do, even to this day. But I knew that God had given, a, given me a call to, to invite men to follow me as I follow Jesus. And the world is longing for people that will simply do what they say that they are. The world is longing for people that will be real and be real about their faith. You don't have to have it all figured out. But some of you, the reason why you're living in spiritual isolation is because you're waiting on someone else to do the thing that God's called you to do. It's time for you to stand up. And it's time for you to lead. And will you mess up? Yes, you will. But God's grace abounds. Praise God, right? And he'll use you. And people will come and they'll experience what God has for them. If you'll just stand up 
and lead the way God wants you to lead. But let me make it a little more practical. Let me give you five P's that you're going to need in order to find biblical community. The first P is this. You're going to need to pray. Some of y'all have not because you asked not. Begin to pray, God, would you send me, uh, um, would you send me a good friend? We pray this for our children all the time. And this is no different in your season of life. We always need companionship. We always need community. Pray that God would send some people in your life that are about it, all right, that you can link arms with and you can run after the thing that God's called you to run after. Pray that God will send some people in your life that are about you and they'll look at you and say, bro, put on some deodorant. You're never gonna get a date smelling like that, you know? You do some people that'll look at you and say, girl, I know you like those fruit smoothies, but they are always up in your teeth and so you need to you know, brush after that. You need some people that'll look at you and love you enough to help you, all right? And pray, pray for them. The, the second thing you gotta do is position. Position yourself in the place where you're gonna meet people that are hopefully, hopefully on the same mission that you're on. You're here tonight, you have positioned yourself in a great place, but many of you, this is like a, this is like a small town gathering here, all right? There are hundreds of people here, and, and oftentimes you can still kind of sit in anonymity but you need to take a step to get involved practically so that you can position yourself in a place to find biblical community. Maybe you sign up to serve. Maybe you join this church or join the church that you're attending, but you haven't really joined yet. And you begin to position yourself in a place where you can cross paths with people that are running after the same thing that you are. The next thing that you gotta do is that you've gotta, you gotta, you gotta get some people. All right? this is, we're getting real practical, okay? You can't have community by yourself, okay? You need some people, all right? If you have community by yourself, you may have some other issues, okay? So you need some people, okay? You need some people. Uh, well, how, how many people? I would say this. Just, this is kind of an arbitrary number just based upon my experience. There's no Bible number that I would point you to. Jesus had 12 guys. One of them was a bad apple. I think he knew that, you know? And so I would just say around 10, you know? No more than 10 because here's, my, here's been my experience. It's hard to know and to be known by more than that. And so think about the people, the people. The next thing you're gonna need is you're gonna need a place, all right? This is a practical place. You're gonna need a place to meet. I remember one of the first groups I was in when I came here, I was in a, a group of young single men and none of them were established in their career yet and so none of them really had a place that we could go meet. And so we just said, okay, well, uh, we're gonna meet at, at, at one of the local parks. And so I remember having multiple community group meetings on a picnic, on a picnic bench in the park like, we were just hanging out, you know, just, just up to no good, you know, in our neighborhood. I got one little fight, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we just hanging out, you know? And you're going to need a place. And so ask somebody to meet at their apartment, a place where you can have good conversation, where you can not be in a hurry. And then last, uh, you're going to need a plan. You're going to need a plan. Now, I would say that this all of these things play out best in a physical experience. One of the things that I've learned is that it's easy to, to disguise myself in the digital world. It's easy to, to catfish people in community, if you will. Like, oh, I, we didn't know you were like that, you know? It's easy to stay in the anonymity, even in a physical relationship but it's so much more easy and convenient than a digital one. And I would encourage you that you can find community digitally, but there's no substitute for you being in a room with people physically, that you can look at them, you can feel their tears, you can, you can see them, you can hug them, 
And so God wants you to experience this type of relationship. Well, what's the plan? All right, maybe some of you are like, oh, I got my posse. I'm ready. What did we do exactly? Because listen, going to a chief's party, bringing a bunch of potluck and some guac and some queso and some smoke rip, that's not biblical community. That's just a good time, all right? What, is the th- what are the things that you actually do? That's why you need a plan. Well, here's three questions that we encourage people to ask when they get together with their community. The first question is this. How are you growing spiritually? How are you growing spiritually? That you would begin to share what God's teaching you in his word? The second question is this. How are you growing other people spiritually? That you would begin to share some of the conversations that you're having with people that you do life with? Or you begin to share how you're serving certain people or how you're trying to help people in their faith journey? And the third question is this. How are you grieving the Holy Spirit? And this is the time where you say, man, here are some of the things I've gotten caught up in. I've looked at pornography this week. I've pleased myself this week. I, uh, I've been so angry at this coworker, and, uh, and I fired off a, a very passive-aggressive email to the whole office. You begin to share, man, I'm in this relationship, and, and we, we, we got a little bit too far. You begin to share how you grieve. You begin to be honest. You begin to be real. And you allow people to look at you and to remind you to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. You begin to allow people to stir you up in what you're learning in God's word and stir you up in the mission of God. And that is a great plan for what you actually talk about when you get together with those that you're spending time with. Sunday night was amazing, y'all. Fireworks going off all in our neighborhood. Tomorrow's gonna be amazing. We're having a big party in our city tomorrow. But when all the confetti is done falling and all the fireworks have burned out and all the leftover queso has been reheated three times and eaten by you, when all of this stuff is over, when the party is over, what relationships will be left? You may have had a good time Sunday night with a lot of good time friends, but will they be there for you when you really need them? Y'all may have cheered on the Chiefs and it was epic, but would you, would you have people in your life that'll cheer you on spiritually so that you can be the man or the woman that Jesus died for you to be? And listen, if you don't have real community, you are missing out on one of the greatest gifts that God has given you. And it's not good for you to be alone. And my prayer is that you would make a decision tonight to change that. The Bible tells us that we were created for community with one another and community with God. And the gospel is one of the most beautiful stories ever told. In fact, it is the most beautiful story ever told. And it goes like this, that we were created for community with God, for relationship with God, but we sinned against God. We chose to break up with God, so to speak. And so God, in his perfect harmony and community, he didn't need us, but he chose to send his son Jesus to die for us. And then it's like, he's like he's kicking Jesus out of the family. (laughs) Like Jesus literally died outside the city. He died as an outsider. The gospel teaches us this, that Jesus died as an outsider so that we who were outsiders because of our sin could be brought to the inside 
when we put our faith and trust in Jesus's sacrifice for our sin. And the reason why we can share that message with integrity is because three days later, Jesus rose from the grave and he's alive today. And so everything that he did, every promise that he made was validated in the fact that he rose from the grave. And the most important relationship that you can settle is your relationship with God. And then once God saves you and you have a vertical relationship with God that is restored and right, he calls you to have horizontal relationships with people that are restored and right. And my prayer is that you would find those two things to be a reality in your life. And we would love to help you do that tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, we thank you for just the opportunity to open up your word. I thank you for a theology of community that on multiple pages all throughout the Bible is just the encouragement to find people and then also the warning of what goes wrong when we live for ourselves, or when we give in to adultery or bitterness or gossip or self-righteousness and, and how that just unravels the family of God, how it unravels the community and the society. And so God, I pray that we would heed the warnings of history and that we'd also have a longing inside of our heart for belonging and that we would not be satisfied or settle for anything less than biblical community. God, I pray that you'd help us to be real tonight. If we've come in here and we're lonely and in isolation, God, I pray that tonight would be the night we come out of hiding. That tonight would be the night that we have the conversation. We say, hey, can I join your group? Can I shadow your group? Can, I, can, I, can we get together and hang out and, and, and talk about things that matter? And God, I pray that tonight, as a result of young adults hearing this message, that they would find biblical community. God, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you, I just ask that you would save them, that you would do what only you can do, and that they would cry out to you. Your word says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I pray that that would be a reality for many tonight. God, we love you, and it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.